We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 190 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, November 18th, 2021. It is a big day in the Galdi household because the four-year-old son has been cleared. Yes, my four-year-old son on Wednesday afternoon cleared for full activity. He has healed. He is good to go. He suffered That fractured left elbow a few weeks ago in a fall, a tumble down the steps. But he has been activated off the reserve injured list. Uh, The arm no longer wrapped. He is back to pushing and punching me. He is back to assaulting me with two hands, not one. Got the clearance on Wednesday afternoon. We are happy about that. So, uh, yes, unlike Curtis Samuel, unlike Ryan Fitzpatrick, my four-year-old son is back to full health. And thank you to everyone for the well wishes over the last few weeks. It's very nice to see all of those. But hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. One week from today is Thanksgiving. Uh, Hard to believe, but it'd be true. Just like the Washington football team's win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hard to believe, but it'd be true. Uh, What or what will happen for Washington at the Carolina Panthers this Sunday? Well, Wednesday ended up being Ron Rivera Reminisces Day. Uh, One question after another during his post-practice press conference about his time as Panthers head coach, his relationship with Cam Newton. Uh, Next segment, I'll take you through all of that, including some truth about Ron's time as Panthers head coach and Ron explaining why Washington has not signed Cam during Ron's time as Washington head coach. For the record, I have never been an advocate of Washington signing Cam. Uh, I like Cam. I really have nothing against Cam, but Cam has dealt with a lot in the way of injury in recent years. Uh, Of course, watch him light it up 
against Washington this Sunday. Uh, also, I have for you the latest on injuries for Washington for this game at the Panthers, including a surprising and unfortunate injury reveal on Wednesday. And I'll talk Taylor Heineke. He spoke on Wednesday via post-practice press conference. Uh, Heineke in the win over the Bucks outplayed Tom Brady. Will Heineke this Sunday again be the quarterback who plays best in his game? Rough nights for the Wizards and Maryland basketball. Each team was atrocious on threes in a loss. Uh, These were tough watches, man. For the Wizards, a 97-87 loss at the Charlotte Hornets. For the Terrapins, a 71-66 loss at home to George Mason as the Terps got got on Wednesday night. This is a time in the college basketball season in which power conference teams get got. Uh, Maryland got got on Wednesday night. I'll post-game both games and also get into the big Wizards news that was announced on Wednesday morning. Promotions for Tommy Shepard and Sashi Brown. Good for them. And whereas the Wizards and Terps had bad Wednesday nights, the Capitals did not. Always know that this show is a Capitals-friendly show. I am not one of these DC sports talk show hosts who hates hockey. Uh, We talk caps after every game on this podcast, and you better believe we'll be talking caps off what I thought was an extremely impressive win late night on Wednesday night, given the circumstances, a 2-0 win at the Los Angeles Kings. Oh, by the way, the caps, as we speak on this Thursday, tied atop the NHL standings with the Florida Panthers at 25 points. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Robert Delaney of our discussion on Wednesday's show, episode 189 on Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog. Sonny, Sam, and Frank. Is that team the greatest Washington, D.C. sports announced team ever? Uh, writes Robert, I go back to Steve Gilmartin and Mel Campbell for the Redskins and Tony Roberts for the Bullets. And then Robert proceeds to give me his top eight Washington, D.C. sports announcers slash announced teams. Uh, Number one, Charlie and Dave. Wow, Robert has Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler. Uh, Number one on the list. Of course, those guys have done Nationals games on radio for years. Number two, Sonny, Sam, and Frank. Uh, Writes Robert, mainly because Sonny, Sam, and Frank had glory years. Everything went right. Something they both have in common. Both groups laughed a lot, talking about Charlie and Dave and then Sonny, Sam, and Frank. Number three, Johnny Holiday. Uh, I'm assuming that Robert has Johnny for both Maryland basketball and Maryland football broadcast. Number four, Ron Weber, the legendary former Capitals radio voice. Number five, Dave Johnson with DC United. How about that? I like Dave. I was Dave's producer on Wizards radio broadcast 20 years ago. Uh, Number six, John Walton, the current radio voice of the Caps. Number seven, Frank Herzog with the Bullets. And number eight, Rich Votkin, the legendary radio voice of Georgetown basketball, still going strong today. Well, thank you for the email, Robert. Obviously, you have a lot of individual announcers. I was talking more about announced teams, but whatever. It's all subjective. There is no right answer. I just think that for Sonny, Sam, and Frank, the combination of chemistry in the booth, success of the franchise while the announced team was calling games, and the duration of the announced team, unmatched by any other DC sports announced team ever. I got this tweet from Dam Snyder, not Dan Snyder, Dam Snyder. Uh, Dam Snyder tweeted me, great tribute to Sonny, Sam, and Frank 
on today's podcast. Loved it and brought me goosebumps and great memories. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Damn Snyder. Continues, Damn Snyder. A regional radio broadcast team I loved as a kid was John Miller and Joe Angel doing Orioles games. Yes, yes, 100% yes. John Miller and Joe Angel were outstanding together doing Orioles games on radio back in the day. If you are like me, if you are a child of the 80s and 90s, the Orioles were the team of the DMV, right? We did not have the Nationals until 2005. And if you grew up as an Orioles fan, if you perhaps still are an Orioles fan, as I know plenty of people in the D.C. area still are, you know about John Miller and Joe Angel, and uh, they were great together. I used to love listening to those guys. Email from Gerald. Uh, And this email includes a link to a story about this Dwayne Haskins report. Have you been following this? So Dwayne is the Pittsburgh Steelers third string quarterback. Uh, The Steelers starting quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, was out for this past Sunday afternoon's game against the Detroit Lions due to COVID-19 protocols. Mason Rudolph, the backup quarterback, got the start and the game ended in a 16-all tie. So Aditi Kinkabwala, a reporter for NFL Network put out a tweet on Monday morning. And the tweet was pushed back to Steelers fans who have been critical of Ben Roethlisberger. Tweeted Aditi, quote, Mason Rudolph has had four years to show who he is. Dwayne Haskins, ostensibly one play from his first game action yesterday, spent warm-ups throwing lousy passes and checking his phone. Ben Roethlisberger may not be who he once was, but there's a reason He's your QB, Steelers fans, end quote. So the Haskins part of that tweet got a lot of attention, especially the checking his phone part. Uh, It would not surprise me, and I'm guessing it would not surprise many of you at all if this is exactly what Dwayne was doing before the game on Sunday. Few players in recent Washington history have talked a good game and then not backed it up at all in terms of work ethic and performance quite like Dwayne. I know for me, one of the biggest turnoffs about Dwayne as his time here went on was the phoniness, uh, the lack of authenticity. He would say the right things, but he wouldn't do them. And I suppose that was due to immaturity, and we're all entitled to being immature in our early 20s. But Dwayne not putting in the work as a starting quarterback for Washington last season, you know, him showing up late to meetings as a starting quarterback for Washington last season, when the third-string quarterback on the team with one good leg was showing up for everything and busting his tail to play again was inexcusable. I will say this. It is possible that Dwayne was, say, listening to music on his phone and was just adjusting the music, and that's what he was doing on his phone. So I would like to know a little more about what was going on. I don't think it's fair to just crush Dwayne. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Um, you know, it's not necessarily true that Dwayne was just fooling around on his phone, you know, was just Googling himself on his phone, was just trying to slip into the DMs of strippers on his phone. But yeah, uh, oh, Wayne Wayne, maybe, possibly, is still acting like Wayne Wayne. Uh, writes Gerald in his email, sad if true, could have been looking for a certain song. Guy just can't make positive news. Yeah, well said. The guy just can't make positive news. Uh, email from Clifton Sheets. On Ryan Fitzpatrick, likely not playing again this season due to his right hip not having healed enough. Uh, Writes Clifton, so $10 million for 16 plays. Does that make him the season record holder for pay per play? 
Uh, good question, Clifton. Fitzpatrick is making $10 million this season, and yet he has played on just 16 offensive snaps this regular season. Not his fault. I mean, that's a nasty injury that he suffered in the week one loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field, the right hip subluxation. But I tell you what, if that isn't the record, that's awfully close. $10 million for 16 offensive snaps. That works out to $625,000 per snap. Not bad. That's what you call efficient earning. I hope that every one of you listening right now earns money with that kind of efficiency. Well, if you're not generating revenue at exactly the Ryan Fitzpatrick rate of $625,000 per offensive snap, that's okay. Uh, If you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow, you can put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. ImageWorks will help you reel in new customers for your business, spread awareness of your business, set up a website for your business, whatever you need. Uh, And ImageWorks can help you wherever you are. ImageWorks is located in Washington, D.C. at Northern Virginia, but ImageWorks serves the entire country. So if you're listening to this podcast and say North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, even California, ImageWorks can help you. For more than two decades, ImageWorks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But ImageWorks is more than a branding and marketing firm. ImageWorks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. ImageWorks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again, 703-378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com. That's imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. There are many things that make the 3-6 and six Washington football team's game at the 5-5 five and five Carolina Panthers this Sunday afternoon at 1, a significant game for both teams. But there is no storyline for the game that's bigger than Ron Rivera's return to Carolina and the likelihood that he'll be serving as head coach for a Washington team facing not just the team that fired him as head coach off a loss to Washington, but that he'll be serving as head coach for a Washington team facing a quarterback with whom Ron had so much success as Panthers head coach, Cam Newton. Uh, There are many, many layers to this game on Sunday. So Ron Rivera was the head coach of the Carolina Panthers from January 2011 to December 2019. There are people who love to bring up that Ron, over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach, only had three winning seasons. And that is technically true, that Ron Rivera, over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach, only had three winning seasons. And that's a reality that should not be dismissed. But that Ron, over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach, only had three winning seasons, it doesn't tell the entire story 
Uh, Ron, over his eight-plus seasons, his Panthers head coach had a regular season record of 76-63-1, and 13 games above 500. Not bad. Uh, Ron, over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach, went 3-4 and four in the postseason. Ron, over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach, guided the team to an NFC championship for the 2015 season, guided the team to three NFC South titles, guided the team to three double-digit win regular seasons. Not bad, you know? I'm not saying that Ron Rivera with the Panthers was, you know, Bill Belichick, but this offsided stat of Ron over his eight-plus seasons as Panthers head coach only had three winning seasons doesn't tell the entire story of Ron as Panthers head coach. There's also this. Ron is beloved in Carolina. Uh, His former players love him. Panthers fans love him. The way that Ron is talked about in Carolina is very different than the way that so many former Washington head coaches and executives are talked about here. Ron on Wednesday at his post-practice press conference on what his time in Carolina means to him. Well, I mean, what it would have meant to us really was that, you know, for, for a coach to be in one place for a long time, you know, for, for, for that many years, for nine seasons, I mean, that basically speaks to, to, to having roots. I mean, that's coaches are typically on the move three, four, five, six years down the line. So to, to be in one spot for a while, that, that was pretty cool. It meant a lot. You know, we developed some very good friends and relationships, people we still stay in touch with today. You know the community involvement that we had that was a that was a big deal for us and you know it, it's kind of a neat thing because um, you know you, you, that you really get to see another side of, of the city and and that's really the thing that I really appreciate is just you know how good a city it is the people in the city were, were terrific so it was it was really a neat a neat thing for us. Yeah, I bet that it was. Uh, Ron then got asked how the Carolina community impacted him. And you'll hear Ron reference his house having burned down and his cancer battle from last year. So the cancer battle you know about, but the house catching fire you may not know about. In January 2015, Ron Rivera's house in Carolina caught fire. Uh, The fire caused $500,000 in damages to Ron's $1.3 million home. Uh, The Charlotte Fire Department, in its final report, ruled that the improper installation of a modular fireplace or a material defect was the cause of the fire. So here was Ron on Wednesday on how the Carolina community impacted him. Well, um, one of the examples is is when our house burned down, um, the, the outpouring uh, support we got from the community was tremendous. It really, truly was, you know. Um, when I got sick, Last year, the the messages and notes and the and the things we got from the people uh, of Charlotte, or I should say, you know, the Panther fans, um, was terrific. It really was tremendous, and 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 we'll be forever grateful for that. Um, you know, and and then when you know you get involved in the community, and then you you do something, you know, you have a charitable event, and people turn out in large numbers to help support that. You know, you, you feel good that, you know, hey, you know, we were able to reach reach folks and, and get them involved in the community as well. So th- that I kind of felt was a, a little bit of give and take, which I thought was really cool. And that's what happens when a head coach spends eight plus seasons with a franchise and has success with that franchise. By the way, do you know how many head coaches in the history of the team currently known as the Washington football team have spent at least eight consecutive seasons as the team's head coach? One. Yeah, one. Joe Gibbs, in his first tenure 
as Washington head coach, 1981 through 1992. That is the only instance in the history of the Washington franchise that a head coach spent at least eight consecutive seasons as the head coach of the team. Eight plus seasons as an NFL head coach for the same team is hard to do. Uh, Ron on Wednesday on what he thinks his emotions will be like on Sunday being in the visitor's locker room at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Well, I know as far as playing against them, it, it's, it's, it, it won't be the same effect, but it'll be back in Charlotte. That'll be probably the bigger thing more, more than anything else uh, for me. It's just because, again, as I said, you know, the, the thing that I really appreciate about my time more so there than anything else were the people. And, and that's probably the bigger thing. Now, what, I've, what I'm doing is I'm limiting, you know, my exposure to that. Uh, you know, Stephanie will do all the visiting and saying hello to folks. Uh, me, I'm, I'm pretty much going to try and stick to the mantra, this is a business trip. Yeah, this is a business trip because ultimately none of this Carolina stuff matters to me as a Washington football team fan. I want my team to win. The Carolina stuff is a Ron Rivera thing and a Panthers thing. For us as Washington fans, this game's all about one thing, winning, you know, assuming that you want the team to win. If you're in the camp of the more losses, the better. If you're in the camp of Tankus Maximus, well, then that's a different story. It's funny, though, because Ron's last game as Panthers head coach was what, right? A loss to Washington in Carolina. Uh, December 1st, 2019, Washington overcame a 14-0 first quarter deficit and improved to 3-9 and with a 29-21 win at the Carolina Panthers. What I remember as much as anything about that game was how dominant Washington's running game was. Uh, remember, Bill Callahan was Washington's interim head coach at the time. Coach Cal loved, and I mean loved, to run the football. And in this game, Washington ran the football. Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, and Chris Thompson were all active in the same game for the first time that season for Washington. And they combined for 26 carries for 242 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Geis had 10 carries for 129 yards and two touchdowns. And then two days later, December 3rd, 2019, the Panthers fired Ron Rivera as head coach. Ron on Wednesday on whether he has any bitterness toward the Panthers. No, there's no reason to be bitter. You know, I went, did the best I could. Um, and when, you know, when it was time to move on, um, David Tepper treated me with tremendous dignity and respect. He really did. He gave me an opportunity to say goodbye, and I really appreciated that. Um, and which really kind of cool, kind of speaks to who he is. When we played him here, he did a, uh, he did a Rivera Strong uh, as well. So, um, you know, I got a tremendous amount of respect for what he's, what, what he's doing there right now, um, what they're trying to do in terms of their rebuild as well. Uh, but there is, there is no bitterness. I mean, if there is anything, it's just, you know, just miss, uh, just miss the folks and the friends we had in Charlotte. And among those folks, among those friends is Cam Newton, who of course is back with the Panthers. So the Panthers on November 11th agreed on a deal with Cam as an unrestricted free agent, bringing him back to the franchise for which he was a franchise quarterback for nine seasons, 2011 through 2019, although he barely played in that 2019 season due to injury. The Panthers are coming off a big win, a 34-10 win at the Arizona Cardinals last Sunday, although the Cardinals were without multiple key players, including Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Cam was not the Panthers' starting quarterback for that game. P.J. Walker was, but Cam played 
and was impactful. He had a touchdown pass and a touchdown run and playing on just nine offensive snaps. Not bad. Accounting for two touchdowns over just nine offensive snaps. Uh, Ron on Wednesday on what he looks back upon fondly regarding his time with Cam. There's a lot of really cool moments, you know, everything from, from you know, him being our first draft pick um, and the work that we put in to, to make him our first draft pick. You know, one of the things that I really think was really cool was that last week of dra- draft preparation, um, I flew to to Atlanta to visit him and his family. And we, we, you know, spent time together. I got an opportunity to see him interact with his folks, with his brothers. And, and, and when you see that and, and, and you see how genuine it is, you, real, you, know, you know he's a good person. And that's the thing that I, I, I really respected was just, you know, the type of, of, of young man he is. But really the, got the chance to see his family life, his home life. Um, and that's something I always think, you know, I always remember. And then there were some other things, you know, that, that, that went on from every time to, to, from the time when he, he was in the, in the uh, car accident, you know, during the season um, to, um, you know, to, to the, the only time that I, I don't want to say I benched him, but the only time that I did was when, when you know, I, I got him to finally admit that his foot really was hurt. Um, and then we put him on IR uh, my last year. Um, that was tough because he's a competitor. He didn't want to quit. Uh, but, you know, we, we told him, you know, that you, you have to because you're hurt. And, um, you know, I always remember that. Just he's, um, you know, thing I always remember, too, is he hated to lose more than anybody I've ever been around. You know, after the 2015 Super Bowl, you know, people don't realize, you know, that they, 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 they called him a sore loser. Well, he is because he wants to win. I mean, that's who he is. And, and, and you know, and I, I try to deflect that just so the people understand, you know, the dude's going to give you everything he has, which he did. And unfortunately, we didn't win it. Yeah, you can tell that Ron has great affection for Cam. But of course, Washington has not signed Cam during Ron's time as Washington head coach. So the Ron Rivera affection for Cam Newton really only goes so far. Uh, Washington has had ample opportunity to sign Cam during Ron's time as Washington head coach, but has not done so. Heck, Washington in March 2020 traded a 2020 fifth round draft pick to the Panthers for Cam's backup, Kyle Allen. Ron in the 2020 offseason chose to trade for Cam's backup rather than sign Cam. Understand, Washington officially announced the trade for Kyle Allen on March 24th, 2020, the same day on which the Panthers released Cam Newton and then Washington this past offseason again passed on signing Cam. Ron on Wednesday on why he hasn't brought Cam to Washington. Well, I think the biggest thing for me looking at it was, was it, it, it's really trying to go in a different direction more than anything else. That's to me what it's really all about. You know, if, if, if it was possible to, to emulate everything that we did there, I would have. But I just felt that this was an opportunity uh, for us, that we were going completely different. This was going to be a young team, a bunch of young players, um, which is what we're trying to do. And, you know, and, and if you look at, uh, and they're a good example of a team that got young very fast along the lines of what we're trying to do and build it up that way. Because to me, if you build it through the draft, you put the right people in place, you know, you can have that you know, type of sustainability. I mean, we had a nice run up to 2017, and then the quarterback injuries caught up with us in 18 and 19 more so than anything else. If you really look at that, in both instances, we had had six wins when we, when we had to change out, you know? Um, and sometimes you just can't overcome the injuries. 
Yeah, and the injuries really have been the issue for Cam. He's really not that old. Uh, This season is just Cam's age 32 season, but Cam had some major injury issues during his final seasons with the Panthers. Cam, over his first seven seasons with the Panthers, 2011 through 2017, played in 109 of a possible 112 regular season games. But Cam in January 2019 underwent an arthroscopic procedure on his right shoulder. And Cam in the 2019 regular season played in just two games due to a left foot Liz Frank injury for which he underwent surgery in December 2019. Uh, Ron and Cam, of course, dominated the 2015 season. Ron's Panthers went 15-1 and in the 2015 regular season, won the NFC Championship for the 2015-2016 NFL postseason. Cam was the Associated Press NFL MVP for the 2015 regular season. And then came Super Bowl 50, uh, February 2016, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. The ultra-potent Panthers got shut down by the Denver Broncos 24-10. And things really were never the same for Ron, Cam, and the Panthers after that game. Ron on Wednesday on how much that Super Bowl 50 loss affected things in future years. Well, I mean, it's something that still sticks with you because obviously you do everything you can to get there and then unfortunately you don't have the success. And, you know, I always think about the things that I could have done differently. Uh, would I have done differently? What would I have done differently? And I got a nice little notepad of that stuff. Um, you know, so it, it's something that does drive me. It does motivate me. It's one of the things that wanted me to get right back into coaching. Um, because I love the challenge of it. And it's not necessarily about me winning it as much as about us winning it. Um, I had my Super Bowl. where I've, I've been part of a winner. I'd love to see the, the, the people that I work with get an opportunity to be part of a winner too as well. And Because and, that's the peak. It's the pinnacle of what we do, and it's why we do it. Yes, it is. And it's what we're all hoping that Ron achieves as Washington head coach. Interesting to hear how much that Super Bowl 50 loss sticks with Ron. Uh, He has a notepad of things that he could do differently. Good for him. Uh, Up next, we'll get to the actual game for the Washington football team at the Carolina Panthers on Sunday, including comments from Taylor Heineke on Wednesday on what the game at the Panthers means to him. I got a kick out of that answer. And Heineke on him having no turnovers in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last Sunday. I'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So let's get to some more football-centric stuff as opposed to storyline stuff regarding the 3-6 and six Washington football team's game at the 5-5 five and five Carolina Panthers this Sunday afternoon at 1. Although, I will do some storyline stuff this segment, only because one of Taylor Heineke's answers at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday was pretty funny. So, Washington on Wednesday began the team's practice week for the game. The most notable injury item for Washington was Kendall Fuller not practicing. Uh, turns out that he has a knee injury of some kind. Uh, don't know if he suffered it in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field this past Sunday, or perhaps has been dealing with it. Uh, but Fuller did play on every Washington defensive snap in that game. Uh, there were two other Washington players on the team's injury report for Wednesday, and both of them are corners as well. Benjamin St. Juice did not practice on Wednesday due to his concussion, which kept him from playing in the win over the Bucs. And Danny Johnson was a full participant in practice on Wednesday, but he was listed on the injury report as dealing with a wrist ailment. So Washington is banged up at corner, although Washington on Wednesday did announce that Daryl Roberts returned to practice, uh, giving the team 21 days to activate him off the reserve injured list. So Daryl Roberts has been on the reserve injured list since October 13th due to a quadriceps injury that was suffered in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in week five, although Roberts has not played on any of Washington's defensive snaps this season. As for Washington's offense, uh, Curtis Samuel did not practice on Wednesday due to the groin injury of biblical proportions. You know, the flood that gave us Noah's Ark had nothing on this Curtis Samuel groin injury. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones did not practice on Wednesday due to the hip ailment that uh, plagued him in the win over the Bucks. So that was bad news, although not unexpected news. Sadiq Charles did not practice on Wednesday due to illness. Boy, Sadiq cannot catch a break, man. Washington on Tuesday activated Sadiq off the reserve COVID-19 list on which he was put the previous Tuesday, November 9th, and then he missed practice on Wednesday due to illness. But those three players were the only Washington offensive players on the active roster who did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, Logan Thomas remains on the reserve injured list. The hope is that he might be able to come off that this week. But the offense is getting healthier. Uh, five Washington offensive players were limited in practice on Wednesday. Terry McLaurin was limited in practice on Wednesday due to his shoulder. Antonio Gibson was limited in practice on Wednesday due to his shin. Uh, Samuel Cosme was limited in practice on Wednesday due to that ankle injury. Although, remember, he for the win over the Bucks was available in an emergency situation. He had missed the previous three games due to the injury. He did not play in the win over the Bucks. Cornelius Lucas was Washington's right tackle. Brandon Sheriff was limited in practice on Wednesday due to a knee, but he in the win over the Bucks returned from a four-game absence that was caused by his knee injury. And Samus Reyes was limited in practice on Wednesday Due to a hip. The Panthers, by the way, are quite healthy in terms of active roster players. Just four players were listed on the Panthers' Wednesday injury report, and two of those players fully practiced. So the big question with this game at the Panthers for Washington clearly is will Washington play as it did in the 29-19 win over the Bucks at FedEx Field last Sunday? Was that game the start of a run? 
or was that game a mere one-off? Here was Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday on what from the win over the Bucks is replicable. Just the way we played. I I really do. I mean that. I mean, just the whole energy, the whole um, details, the, the... the third down stuff we did, the red zone stuff we did. Um, you know, you, you'd like to carry all that forward. Yes, you would. Uh, Washington really did play a complete game last Sunday. There was a lot to like with Washington's offense, with Washington's defense, and with Washington's special teams. Washington had not come close to having a complete game this season and then went out and had that complete game against one of the best teams in the NFL. And so will Washington carry that over. You know, I'm not at all a fan of the concept of momentum, you know. I don't deny that momentum can exist, but I just feel like it gets brought up all of the time, and it's such a cliche, abstract concept that nobody can define. But here was Taylor Heineke at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday on how Washington can carry the momentum of last Sunday into this Sunday. Yeah, um, you know, coming off that game, it's, it's a big confidence booster. Um, and guys, uh, we, we yeah. when you win a game like that against a defense like that, um, it, it makes you believe that you can do that against anybody. And um, it, it's good for us. You know, we were going through a four-game skid there where you know we were losing, and had to get a game like that and win. Um, you know, we have a lot of confidence going into this one, so you know we feel good about it. And Washington should feel good now. While so much of the focus on Wednesday was on Ron Rivera's past with the Panthers. The truth is that there are many, and I mean many, current Washington players, coaches, and football operations people who used to be employed by the Panthers. There's a reason that the Washington football team has become known as Panthers North. Well, among those former Panthers players on Washington is Taylor Heineke. Uh, In fact, Heineke's first career NFL regular season start was for the Ron Rivera-coached Panthers. December 23rd, 2018, a 24-10 Panthers home loss to the Atlanta Falcons. Heineke went 23 of 53 for just 274 yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions. Ron Rivera on Wednesday on how much better Heineke is now as compared to when Ron gave Heineke that first career NFL regular season start. I think he's playing with a lot more confidence. Um, I think he's uh, his, his decision making is, is getting better, obviously. Um, and I think with him, it's just a matter of getting reps and, and, and opportunities. Um, I, I think he has improved a, a lot, and um, and we're seeing it. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get some of the playmakers back on the field. You know, we'll get our tight ends healthy again. Um, you know, we get uh, a couple more receivers back out there and, and, and really be able to see what we can do. You know, we're starting to get the offensive line healthy again, uh, even though they, they, the guys that replaced the guys that uh, were hurt uh, still played well. Um, you know, we're starting to get those guys back on the field as well. Yes, you are. Uh, Heineke on Wednesday got asked a lot about Ron Rivera's time with the Panthers and about Cam Newton and Heineke kept saying that he didn't really have much to say about these things. He didn't seem to have much of a desire to say much about these things. And then Heineke got asked about what it means for him to be playing at the Panthers this Sunday. Not much. Um, I just kind of view them as a, you know, another team on the on the schedule. Um, Again, there's a little something there um, that you want to kind of go back and and win where you used to be. I think everyone feels that way. Um, I wouldn't say it's anything extra. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I like that answer from Taylor Heineke. Heineke was like, uh, this game isn't really that big of a deal to me in terms of the opponent. Good for him, you know? This game is a big deal for Heineke because this is a game, you know? The next game in Washington's season, the next game in Heineke's chance as Washington's starting quarterback. That's why this game is a big deal for Heineke. Uh, this also may well be yet another game for Heineke this season against a high-profile quarterback. It's not definite that Cam Newton will be the Panthers' starting quarterback, but things are trending that way, as Panthers head coach Matt Rule said on Wednesday. Now, of course, when an NFL team plays another NFL team, it's not like the two starting quarterbacks are literally facing each other, right? But, you know, you get the idea of that is the quarterback matchup for the game. Heineke on Wednesday on if facing high-profile quarterbacks like Cam Newton and Tom Brady motivates Heineke. Maybe. Um, possibly. But again, like you said, I'm not, I'm not going against those guys personally. Um, but it, it is fun. You know, again, like I've said this before. Um, sometimes I, I think back to when I was a kid. And whether it's playing Madden or, you know, if my Packers were playing, you know, Superman Cam that weekend, how I would feel about, you know, wanting my team to go beat them. So I, I kind of put myself in that situation, trying to make it like a little story or when I was a kid. And um, it gives me a lot of a lot of energy. Superman Cam. I like that. Superman Cam. Uh, Cam has done that Superman thing for quite some time. You know, if Cam is Superman, which superhero can Heineke be? Can Heineke be, say, Wolverine Heineke? I always loved Wolverine. I thought that was the coolest superhero. Uh, can Heineke maybe be Green Lantern Heineke? Who is the Native American who could grow himself into being a giant? Can Heineke be that guy? Who is that guy? Apache Chief, right? You know, people are always joning on Heineke for his lack of size. Maybe Heineke can be that guy. Apache Chief. Although. Well, what am I thinking? Native American. That's a no-no with this team now. Anyway, whichever superhero Heineke can be, hopefully he plays this Sunday like a superhero, like he did last Sunday. Heineke was so good last Sunday in that win over the Bucs. He quarterbacked a Washington offense that went 11 of 19 on third downs and 2 of 2 on fourth downs. Heineke quarterbacked the drive, the tremendous 19-play, 80-yard fourth-quarter touchdown drive that ate up 10 minutes, 26 seconds off the clock. Uh, Heineke completed 26 of his 32 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 81.25, and that doesn't include two drops by Washington pass catchers. Uh, Heineke threw for 256 yards on his 32 pass attempts. That works out to eight yards per pass attempt. Now, it's worth noting that some of the advanced stats actually weren't so kind to Heineke's performance in the win over the Bucs. Uh, Heineke's total QBR per ESPN for the game through Week 10 is just 44.4. That's really not that special of a total QBR. Uh, Heineke's overall grade for pro football focus for the game was just 68.5. Again, that's really not that great. Uh, but Heineke, to me, played very well in the win over the Bucs. And in fact, this advanced stat came out on Wednesday regarding Heineke's performance against the Bucs. He put the NFL's next-gen stats against the Blitz in the game went 8 of 8 for 81 yards and a touchdown. Not bad. But maybe the most important thing about Heineke's performance against the Bucs was that he committed no turnovers. 
Now, turnovers can be flukish. You know, it's not like Heineke threw zero interceptable passes in the game. He did throw some. They just weren't intercepted. But Heineke also made a number of clutch and accurate throws, and Heineke not turning the ball over was huge. Heineke on Wednesday on the difference between those games in which he has had turnovers and those games in which he has not had turnovers. Yeah, um, yeah, we talked about this before. It's playing like myself and not trying to be too perfect, letting things happen naturally. And I think that's that's what's happened. Uh, that what ha- that's what happened on Sunday. Um, kind of just go out there and play my game and, you know, kind of let it rip, but also be smart about it. There's a very fine line there. And again, every week I feel like I'm progressing towards that and feel more comfortable. So, you know, hopefully I can just keep, keep that thing going. Hopefully, and hopefully there's no overconfidence off this win over the Bucks. I don't think that there will be. Haneke seems pretty grounded, but Ron Rivera on Wednesday got asked about the swagger of Taylor Heineke and whether Ron is looking for the healthy part of Heineke's swagger to be on display at the Panthers. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's great. I really do. You know, but I think also, you know, the thing that that helps him is that his, his teammates feel that, you know, and it's funny because when you talk to the guys about him, one of the things they always say is like, God, when, you know, we get the ball in certain situations, we feel like we have a chance. And that's, you know, that's all part of it is that when your teammates have confidence that you can get something done, that really helps. Yes, it does. Here was Heineke on Wednesday on this idea of not getting too cocky off the win over the Bucks. I think it's just to continue to be yourself. And that's that's with everybody. Um, I feel like I play my best when I can just be myself and be passionate, emotional. And I think some of the guys feed off of that. So, um, again, you know, we have to take it one game at a time. Just because we beat Tampa doesn't mean we're going to beat Carolina. And then everyone knows that. So um, um, I think, yeah, just like, like I said, uh, just, just continue to be yourself. That's all you can do. Just be yourself. Uh, but this game at the Panthers doesn't figure to be easy for Heineke. The Panthers through Week 10 per Football Outsiders DVOA metric are number three in the NFL in total defense and number two in the NFL, in pass defense. Uh, then again, the Bucks had high DVOA defensive rankings going into Week 10, and we saw what happened last Sunday. Well, as good as the Wizards have been so far this NBA season, they're not going to win every game, and they did not win On Wednesday night, a very busy Wednesday for the Wizards concluded with a loss. Uh, More on that busy Wednesday in a bit, but the Wizards fell to 10-4, and a 97-87 loss at the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday night in the first game of back-to-back road games. Wizards remained without Davies Bertans. He did not play for a seventh consecutive game due to a left ankle sprain. Wizards remained without Rui Hachimura, who has yet to play this season due to personal reasons, and the Wizards remained without Thomas Bryant, who has yet to play this season due to a partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January 9th. Now, the Wizards in this game at the Hornets were up by nine points in the third quarter at 63-54, but the Wizards then allowed the Hornets to go on a 43-24 run the rest of the game, and what killed the Wizards more than anything in this game was their three-point shooting, which was horrendous. The Wizards went just eight of 42 on threes. Yes, 8 of 42. The Wizards on Wednesday night missed 34 of their 42 three-point attempts. 
Uh, particularly bad were Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and Denny Abdia. Uh, those four guys went a combined two of 24 on threes. Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on the Wizards' woeful three-point shooting on Wednesday night. Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, some some were good, some were great, some weren't. So, you know, I think it's just uh, the combination of those things on, on top of their changing defense, their physicality, it got to us a bit. But, you know, I think we, we generated decent looks for the most part, and we just stepped up, couldn't make them. You know, three-point shooting has been a problem for the Wizards this season. For all that has been going well for the Wizards, uh, three-point shooting has not been going well. The Wizards now this season are just 25th out of 30 NBA teams in three-point shooting at 32.3%. Now, not having Davies Bertans for these last seven games hasn't helped, but if you're a Wizards fan, you know this. It's not like Bertans is great every game, okay? Uh, but it says a lot about the Wizards' defense this season, truly, that the team is 10-4 and four, despite the team having been so bad on threes. In today's NBA, you're really putting yourself in a tough spot if you're bad on threes. The Wizards have been bad on threes, and yet the Wizards are 10-4 and four on the season. Again, it says a lot about the extent to which the Wizards' defense has been good this season. And speaking of that defense, the Wizards on Wednesday night did hold the Hornets to 10 of 32 on threes, although the Wiz did allow the Hornets to go 32 of 64 on twos. Wizards got outscored in the paint 54-46. Wiz themselves did go 25 of 48 on twos. Also, the Wizards lost despite the Hornets having just six free throw attempts the entire game. Uh, the Hornets went just three of six on free throws. Wizards went 13 of 16 on free throws. In terms of Wizards who had good games in this loss, at the Hornets. So Bradley Beal was back. Uh, Beal returned from a two-game absence off the death of a grandmother, and he was good. Five of 11 on threes, finished with 24 points, seven assists versus two turnovers and two steals in 35 minutes, seven seconds as a starter. Daniel Gafford had a good game, 20 points on nine and 12 shooting, nine rebounds, two steals, and just 24-21 as a starter. Montrez Harrell was productive again, uh, Harrell in just 22-12 off the bench, 15 points on 6-9 shooting, 9 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards, and 2 assists versus no turnovers. And I mentioned Denny Abdia going just 1-7 on threes. He did, but also for Abdia in 24-59 off the bench, 1-2 on twos, 4-4 on free throws, 9 points, and 11 rebounds. It's pretty good, 9-11 in a little less than 25 minutes off the bench. Next up for the Wizards is a game on Thursday night. Wizards will be at the Miami Heat Thursday night at 7.30. Now, I mentioned that Wednesday was a busy day for the Wizards. It was. Uh, major news on Wednesday morning. Monumental Sports and Entertainment announced promotions and extensions for Tommy Shepard and Sashi Brown. General Manager Tommy Shepard was promoted to President and General Manager of the Wizards. And Chief Planning and Operations Officer Sashi Brown was promoted to President of Monumental Basketball and Special Advisor to the Office of the CEO at Monumental Sports and Entertainment. So Tommy Shepard, he has received a ton of praise, and rightfully so, for a trade that now looks like an absolute masterpiece by the Wizards. The five-team mega trade from this past August, in which the Wizards sent Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers and got back Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, 
and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Now, there's a lot more to the trade than just that, but that is the gist of the five-team mega deal from a Wizards perspective. Did you see, by the way, what ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks tweeted? on Wednesday morning. Bobby Marks is a former executive with the Brooklyn Nets, very smart guy. He tweeted, quote, I will go on the record and say that the Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, Aaron Holiday, Montrez Harrell, KCP trade will go down as one of the great transactions in the last 20 years. A credit to Tommy Shepard and his front office in Washington, end quote. How about that? One of the great transactions of the last 20 years. And the thing about that trade, as I pointed out, is that it was a part of the brilliant job that Shepard did of getting the Wizards out from underneath the albatross that was the John Wall Supermax contract extension. Shepard turned John Wall and a protected first-round pick into one season of Russell Westbrook, and now Montrez Harrell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Again, there are other players and assets involved in all of this, but you get the idea. And so now Shepard has been promoted. And think about this. So the Wizards fired team president Ernie Grunfeld on April 2nd, 2019. It wasn't until July 22nd, 2019, that the Wizards officially named Tommy Shepard as their general manager. This was as part of the creation of monumental basketball. Uh, This season is Tommy Shepard's 19th season with the Wizards. But always remember, he was not the first choice as general manager to replace Ernie Grunfeld. The Wizards' top target was Denver Nuggets president of basketball operations, Tim Conley. Uh, He grew up in Baltimore, went to Catholic University. He began with the Bullets as an intern in 1996, eventually became the Wizards' director of player personnel. May 2019, we had multiple reports that the Wizards made an official offer to Conley to be their president of basketball operations, but we then got multiple reports that Connolly decided to remain with the Nuggets. Uh, There also was a lot in 2019, as you may remember, about the Wizards wanting Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri. Uh, In fact, we had a Woj bomb regarding this. ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski reported minutes after the Raptors won at the Golden State Warriors in Game 6 of the NBA Finals, June 13, 2019, to win the NBA title, that the Wizards were ready to offer Masai, quote, a deal that could approach $10 million annually and deliver him the opportunity for ownership equity. Wizards owner Ted Leonsis is expected to reach out to Toronto ownership soon to request formal permission to meet with Ujiri and offer a staggering financial package that would include running the Wizards basketball operations and perhaps taking on a larger leadership role in the monumental sports and entertainment company that oversees the Wizards and NHL's Capitals League sources said, end quote. Again, Wojnarowski reported this minutes after the Raptors won the 2018-2019 NBA title, but nothing ever came of this perhaps because the Wizards feared being charged with tampering. Uh, My buddy, my pal, columnist Tom Lavero of the Washington Times reported in a piece published on June 16, 2019, that, quote, according to sources, someone has sounded the tampering alarm already in the Wizards' courtship of Ujiri, forcing transparent Ted to quickly back off the hard sell, end quote. 
So the Wizards wanted Tim Conley, didn't get him, seemingly wanted Masai Ujiri, couldn't even go after him, settled, quote unquote, for Tommy Shepard. And now Shepard has been promoted from GM to president and GM of having done a really nice job. Sometimes in life, you are better off settling. Uh, As for Sashi Brown, he's my kind of guy. Sashi Brown is a big analytics guy. He, prior to joining the Wizards, was probably best known for having served as executive vice president of football operations for the Cleveland Browns, although that was a short tenure, January 2016 to December 2017. Uh, He was initially hired by the Browns in January 2013 as their executive vice president slash general counsel. Uh, Sashi Brown is a lawyer. He's a graduate of Harvard Law and Hampton University, started his career as an attorney for a law firm in Washington, D.C. Now, Sashi Brown's track record running Brown's football operations was far from perfect. Uh, The Browns, during his tenure, passed on Carson Wentz in the 2016 NFL Draft, passed on Deshaun Watson in the 2017 NFL Draft. But Sashi Brown, for the Browns, stockpiled a truckload of draft picks 2016, 2017, 2018 NFL drafts. And go back and look at the Browns' 2018 NFL draft. The Browns in that draft got quarterback Baker Mayfield at number one, got cornerback Denzel Ward at number four, got running back Nick Chubb at number 35. Look, the Wizards have a long way to go before they are where we want them to be, but there's a lot to like right now. And so Shepard and Brown on Wednesday got promotions and extensions. All right, great job by the Capitals on Wednesday night. While many of you were sleeping, while some of you were engaged in deviant acts, the Caps were authoring one of their more impressive wins of the season. And that's saying something because the Caps are having a good season. Caps improved to 10-2-5 with a 2-0 win at the Los Angeles Kings on Wednesday night. Caps now are tied atop the NHL standings with the Florida Panthers at 25 points. Very impressive win for the Caps. Caps are playing the second game of a set of back-to-back road games. Caps are in the midst of a four-game trip out west. Caps are missing a number of key players. The Caps were facing a Kings team that had registered at least a point in each of eight consecutive games, and yet the Caps pitched a shutout. That's pretty good. Uh, Caps remained without a number of key players. Lars Eller did not play for a second consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Nick Dowd remains out due to a lower body injury. Nicholas Backstrom remains out. He hasn't played at all this season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. TJ Oshie remains out due to a lower body injury. Anthony Mantha remains out due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And yet the Caps won. The Caps are without three of their top four centers right now in Nicholas Backstrom, Lars Eller, and Nick Dowd. And yet the Caps won on Wednesday night. Caps got a point in their 3-2 overtime loss at the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday night. And the Caps won on Wednesday night. Uh, The game was scoreless until the third period, during which Garnett Hathaway scored two goals, an even strength goal, 16-30, into the third period, and then an even-strength empty net goal, 18-42, into the third period. How about Garnett Hathaway? He's Wayne Gretzky all of a sudden. Garnett Hathaway, fourth-line winger. He had had no goals this season. He now has five goals over the last four games. It goes to show you how fluky goals can be. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters early Thursday morning on Hathaway. You know, I thought Half was playing well, and you always get judged by goals, it seemed. But 
um, especially in the role that he plays sometimes. Um, you know, that that's not necessarily the, the factor that determines it for me. So I thought he was playing good hockey. But with the amount of offense that is out of the lineup right now, um, to have him contributing the way he is, is is really important. And so he's, I think he's, you know, he skates well, he handles the puck well, he shoots it hard, he goes to the net, he goes to the hard areas. Uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't score goals. So it's nice to see him get rewarded for doing the work. Yes, it is nice to see that. And yes, Hathaway is doing the work. Uh, Hathaway in this 2-0 win at the Kings on Wednesday night per natural stat trick finished number one on the Caps in 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage for the game at 69.57. The Caps with Hathaway on the ice in 5-on-5 situations in the game had 16 shot attempts versus allowing seven shot attempts. Uh, And Hathaway had a game-high six hits. The Caps out hit the Kings 33-20. Hathaway, as we speak, is number three in the NHL with 61 hits this season. Uh, defenseman John Carlson had the primary assist on each of Garnett Hathaway's third period even strength goals. But this was a 2 nothing win for the Caps. This was a shutout win for the Caps. Ilya Samsonov was the Caps starting goaltender for just the fifth time in 17 games this season, and he registered a shutout. Good job by old Ilya, and he was tested in this game. Uh, Samsonov stopped all 34 of the shots on goal that he faced. Samsonov per natural stat trick stopped all 10 of the high danger shots on goal that he faced. So this was not some layup of a shutout. The guy faced 34 shots on goal. The guy faced 10 high danger shots on goal. Uh, Laviolette early Thursday morning on Samsonov. It was a really good performance by him. He seemed like he was in control of the game, uh, control of his crease and focused. He did a really good job. Now, it has been an uneven start to Samsonov's season and what has been an uneven career for Samsonov so far. We've seen much more Vitek Vanacek this season than we have seen of Ilya Samsonov. Did Samsonov need a performance like the one that he had on Wednesday night? I say yes. Heck yes. Uh, here was Laviolette's take. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that he, he's looking for that game too. And so... Um, you know, it was nice for him to come in back to back, and there was a lot of volume, especially in the first period. There's a lot of volume, but I think the chances were probably five to one for us. They were just from the outside. But that being said, you've got to be dialed in, and you got to be in your crease and on top of it. And um, there's a lot of action. There could be tips. There could be rebounds. So there's a lot going on. He always seemed like he was in control, even with the volume that they threw in the first period. Uh, and then after that, it was a couple of big saves that he had to make. But um, I thought it was a you know, a really strong performance by him and good for him, certainly good for our team. Yes, it was. Uh, the puck possession battle for the game was about even, although the Caps per natural stat trick did finish with just eight high danger five on five shot attempts to the Kings 12. Uh, Alex Ovechkin had a game high tying six shots on goal and a game high nine shot attempts. Next up for the Caps, they are at the San Jose Sharks Saturday night at 10 30. Well, we talked earlier in the show about the Wizards' terrible three-point shooting in a 97-87 loss at the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday night and how the Wizards have been bad on threes this season. Well, Maryland basketball, to all of that says, hold my beer. A bad night for the Terrapins on Wednesday night. Number 20 Maryland fell to 3-1, and one, a 71-66 loss to George Mason at Xfinity Center in College Park. A big night for the Mason Nation. Give George Mason full credit. Uh, You start with this. The Terps flirting with danger finally 
caught up with them. Yes, Maryland came into the game 3-0, and but the Terps had been teetering in terms of losing one of these games. The Terps in their 71-64 win over George Washington in College Park last Thursday night, led by just two points at 66-64 with a little more than two minutes left in the second half, did end the game on a 5-0 run. The Terps in their 68-57 win over Vermont in College Park this past Saturday afternoon, trailed by seven early in the second half at 39-32, but did then win the rest of the game 36 18. And so in this loss to George Mason, the Terps in the second half trailed by 10 points at 48-38. And if you're watching the game and you're a Maryland fan, you're saying to yourself, well, we've kind of sort of been seeing this. The Terps figure to be in a position from which they can still win this game. Uh, the Terps did cut the deficit to one at 67-66, but the Terps then allowed George Mason to end the game on a 4-0 run. Now, the Terps did hold George Mason to just 14-34 on twos in the game, but the Terps allowed George Mason to go 12-24 of 24 on threes. Maryland's three-point defense was not very good. A Colorado graduate student transferred to Sean Schwartz for George Mason, 6-10 of 10 on threes. Finished with 24 points, nine rebounds, and three steals. And then there was the Terps three-point shooting, which was really bad. Uh, the Terps went just 9 of 28 on threes. Eric Ayala and Dante Scott did go a combined 8 of 17 on threes, but the rest of the Terps went a combined 1 of 11 on threes. The Terps, through four games this season, are shooting a mere 26.1% on threes. 24 of 92. That is abysmal. Uh, also, Terps went to 7 of 13 on free throws. George Mason went 7 of 8 on free throws. Uh, Eric Ayala, 5 of 12 on threes, although he did go just 1 of 5 on twos. But he finished with 17 points, 4 assists, versus 1 turnover and 4 rebounds in 35 minutes as a starter. Dante Scott, 3 of 5 on threes, finished with 18 points and 10 rebounds in 32 minutes as a starter. But the rest of the Terps had issues. Look, Maryland is a work in progress at this point. You look at someone like the Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 big man, Kudus Wahab. He played for just 16 minutes as a starter on Wednesday night. Eight points on three of four shooting and five rebounds. Uh, here was Maryland head coach Mark Turgeon during his postgame press conference on what he saw with Wahab on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, he just, it's a combination of great double teams, game was moving really fast, a lot of fast guys on the court, um, our guys not getting to the right spots to help him, him dribbling when the double team's coming. So, Game moved quick for him, and um, if he's not posting up hard deep, it was hard for him to do other things for us. I love him. Great player. We're going to get better with it. He's going to get better. We're already better against the double team than we were four days ago, and hopefully we'll get better uh, as the season goes on. But, um, yeah, and, and it was more about defense, too, down there um, with him. And Juju just really played well, so he kind of stuck with him. Juju was... Was, was playing well uh, for us. But, um, you know, when they make shots, they got to spread a little bit. We let them get to the lane a little bit too much. But, uh, no, we'll keep, we'll keep grinding, keep getting better with Q and, and uh, see, what, you know, see how we can help them a little bit more. Yeah, you know, Wahab has not been playing much lately. Wahab in the win over Vermont this past Saturday afternoon played for just 23 minutes as a starter and only committed one foul. So it's not like he was in foul trouble, just like he wasn't in foul trouble on Wednesday night. Uh, Wahab finished the win over Vermont with six points on three of four shooting, eight rebounds, 
and two blocks. Uh, Turgeon's starting five on Wednesday night, again, were Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Kudis Wahab. Uh, 6'8 freshman James Grand III, the consensus four-star recruit out of Milwaukee, was with the team of having not been with the team for two consecutive games due to a violation of team rules. But a bad night for the Terps. Here was how Mark Turgeon began his post-game press conference. All right. Jeez. Uh, George Mason was terrific. Let's, let's be real. Uh, defensively, they were great. They were on a string with each other. Wouldn't let us get in the paint. Um, couldn't get in the paint. We averaged about 40 paint touches. We had 12 at halftime. I'm not sure what we ended up with for the game. Uh, the game plan on cue was good. We didn't, didn't handle it right. Uh, and then they made they made big-time shots. And sometimes it's just not your, your night. It felt like ball just kind of bounced away and you create that sometimes but Schwartz was terrific he had six of them and um, they're good you know I try to explain that uh, to people that you're playing a really good team and we're nowhere near where we're going to be um, until we learn how to share the ball a little bit better and pass it better and make better decisions our defense better be outstanding and it wasn't outstanding tonight and that was why we ended up losing but a lot of it was because of them they were terrific Yes, they were. Again, George Mason deserves a lot of credit for that performance on Wednesday night. Next up for the Terps, home to Hofstra, Friday evening at 6.30. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 191, will be a football Friday extravaganza in-depth preview of the 3-6 and six Washington football team at the 5-5 five and five Carolina Panthers on Sunday afternoon at 1, including the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio have to say during their post-practice press conferences on Thursday. My rhyming keys for a Washington win and a special guest, John Ellis, co-host of The Roar, which is a Carolina Panthers podcast. Also, I will have for you Goldilocks for a big college football week 12, picks against the spreads for Maryland, home to number six, Michigan, Virginia at number 18, Pitt, Virginia Tech at Miami, and Navy, home to East Carolina. All post-game, the Wizards game on Thursday night, which will be at the Miami Heat at 7.30, and we'll see if the Nationals' Juan Soto one National League MVP. The announcement of the winner will be on Thursday evening. Uh, Soto is one of three finalists, Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies and Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres are the other finalists. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Um, sometimes I, I think back to when I was a kid, and whether it's playing Madden or you know, if my Packers were playing you know, Superman Cam that weekend, how I would feel about, you know, wanted my team to go beat them.